0: topic today is the debt monster. Hmm. I need some scary music right now. (laughs) I want you to open your Bibles to Proverbs 22. We're going to camp out there. Life is such a wonderful gift when it's well managed, even our financial lives. And Jesus was so acutely aware of the necessity to manage all aspects of our lives that the Bible, it gives 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. In fact, 16 of the 38 parables of Jesus deals with the subject of money and possessions. And so the Bible has a lot to say about this topic, and I want us to be very aware of its importance. It was about eight years ago that our office received a very troubling phone call. The woman on the other end of the line was a member of the church who had just got wind that another member had attempted suicide. And we rushed there and was able to make sure her life was preserved Come to find out she had been so overwhelmed with debt that she felt a sense of hopelessness. We helped her organize her financial life and part of the counsel was you have to relocate back to live with your parents in Washington, D.C. and get a job there because you can't afford to live on your own based on your income and the level of debt that you have. Sometimes dealing with debt monster, it's pretty scary. So you have to learn to subdue it. You can't play with monsters, and you have to subdue them. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Financial slavery can happen to anybody that's unsuspecting. I don't care who you are, how much money you make, you can become a slave to debt if you're not careful. Did you know that 78% of NFL players either filed bankruptcy or experienced severe financial duress in two years after their retirement? 60% of NBA players either filed bankruptcy or experienced severe financial duress five years after they retire. So it doesn't matter how much money you make, it's about what you do. Imagine if tomorrow when you get home from work, there's a letter right there in your mailbox and you open it up and there it says, congratulations, you've just been selected to become a slave. Just sign on the dotted line, return this, this, this card in a self, you know, self-paid or such self to say prepaid envelope and your slavery will begin on the 15th of next month. We'd all laugh, but that's exactly what credit cards induce. Solomon says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower slave to the lender. Now I must be a little bit technical here. There are two types of debt. There's good debt and bad debt. Good debt includes educational loans, assuming good interest rate, great job afterwards, you've just helped to finance your future. But if you major in basket weaving and you live in the middle of the ocean somewhere, guess what? That's not good debt. Bad debt are credit cards. It's amazing how credit cards can become so fearful and frightening. Think about it, if I just throw out a little example. You said, man, I'm tired of watching this television set that I have. It's just old. I need the latest, newest thing. Cool. You step into Best Buy. There's that TV. It look. I mean, it's you know, LED. The, the pixels are so bright, you feel like you're part of the game. And then, price tag, $500. He said, you, you know, let me just charge it. Eh, take his visa card. They charge it. Assuming it's 19% interest. And you say, when the bill comes, you say, I just can't pay a large amount. Let me just pay the minimum. $10. And you pay the minimum monthly payment of $10. Do you know it'll take you 100 months to pay off that $500 debt? And you would have accrued 100 months or 8.3 years. You would have accrued then $498 in that 8.3 years. In other words, the TV would cost you essentially $1,000. You'd pay it for it 8.3 years later. And that technology would be so old, you wouldn't even know you're watching the game. (laughs) Good debt and bad debt. Good debt includes appreciating assets. A home that accrues in its value, a business that increases its value, stocks that grow in their value, bad debt, toys, and gifts. I'm not talking about little squeeze toys for kids. I'm talking about the boat, that red Ferrari that you always wanted since you were 16. You know, it's not necessary it's, you know, it's optional, but if you go on and get it and get into debt, that becomes a problem. Nothing wrong with giving gifts, but you have to buy Christmas gifts in order to be able to finance or finance Christmas gifts to let, to let people know that, you, that they love you or you love them. Bad idea. Let me tell you, bad debt is not a good thing. So let's go to contrast in. Good debt, medical care. You got to take care of yourself medically so you can be able to work. But then there's bad debt, Vacation. Not going on vacation, nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to Tahiti on a credit card or Aruba on visa, you don't need to be in Tahiti or Aruba. Go to the park, take some stale bread, go to the park, and you'll feel refreshed and rejuvenated. And you've, those pigeons will be well fed, and you will not be in any debt. There's good debt and bad debt. Good debt, business startup. You may say, okay, I'm gonna invest $25,000 in my cousin's business. In three years, this thing, you know, it's now valued at $50,000. That's good debt. Just got income, doubled your money in three years. Bad debt, payday loans. You take out a loan. You say, "I got to pay." It's, it's a short-term loan, two weeks until next paycheck. I need 500 bucks, and you take out this 500-dollar loan, 20% interest. You end up then paying 100 bucks of interest over you know, over two weeks. That's ridiculous. So you're paying 600 bucks to borrow 500 bucks. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. Bad, bad debt. Rub your hands together. Just say, "I'm not going to let the debt monster get me." you got to subdue the debt monster. And so when you subdue it, you practice self-control. Self-control is dealing with consumer spending because it's out of control. It's just way over the top. We have too much stuff. And and sometimes our kids go to us into buying stuff. Sometimes we buy stuff for them because we feel guilty or we just want to make them happy. I remember when in the early days, my kids were small, I'd travel a lot internationally. I'd always bring these gifts from different countries. And then I remember one day I looked in my garage and there was a box of gifts unopened. And I said, I got to put a stop to this. And so what I did was I stopped buying gifts when I went abroad. And I no longer focused on giving them the things, but I gave them experiences. Wave at me if you're still with me. So I want you to understand, this is, this is something we have to do because we have too much stuff. And you know, our stuff, it's, it's burying us. And, and when we think about it, Susie Orman put it this way, if you have debt, I'm willing to bet that general clutter is a problem for you too. You know why she said that? Because we have too much stuff. And when you think about it, all of us can say, I have too much stuff. And so when you look at the ideas that, you know, we're bearing ourselves with stuff, unnecessary stuff. And when we do that, it just, it just over the top. Too much stuff. They could even write in there, I have too much stuff. <laughs> Jesus brings focus to this when he says in Luke 12, 34, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So debt doesn't start with money. Debt starts with heart. See, when we are no longer free and we enter into financial slavery, your future is impacted. You can't go where you want to go. You can't do what you want to do. You can't even feel the way you want to feel because when the debt monster grabs you and you don't know how to subdue it, then you find yourself, your freedom and your future is cut off. I wonder if what would happen if we started believing the Bible. I wonder what would happen if we started believing the words of Jesus. I don't really, really believing the words of Jesus and living the way Jesus would, would called, called us to live, even our financial lives. I believe if we did that, we would be able to subdue the debt monster. And that includes you. That includes me. That includes us. So journey with me now. Because not only do you subdue it, you gotta starve it. You can't play with the debt monster. You got to starve this thing. And when I go back to Proverbs and look at chapter 13 and verse 11, it says, wealth that comes easily disappears quickly. But money that is gathered little by little will grow. In other words, don't look for sudden wealth. I want you to understand this. If I want to grow in spiritual intimacy with God, I'm going to spend time praying, reading the Bible, worship. If I, if I want to grow in financial wealth and financial management, I'm going to apply biblical truth, financial management truth, to the topic of money. So I can be very, very spiritual. I can go over to someone, they'll prophesy a storm up for me. Then I'll say, can you help me organize my finances? And is silent. Because it's two separate things. You can be morally strong and financially weak. And you can be financially strong and morally weak. Why? They're two separate issues. So don't look for sudden wealth. Scripture says wealth grows little by little. See, when you want to starve the debt monster, one of the things you do to starve it is you budget when you budget you dictate where your money goes and you remove you're removing a food supply to the debt monster when you budget when you budget what you're saying in essence is that I'm going to tell my money where to go I'm going to ha- I have plans for my money my money's not gonna dictate my life I'm gonna dictate my money and so anyone can do it whether you make a hundred dollars a week or you make a million dollars a week, we all can do this. Let's say you're 22 years old, just got out of college, got your first job. And after listening to this sermon, you say, Pastor David's on to something. I'm not going to let the debt monster get me. And you decide just to put aside $125 every month into maybe a Roth IRA or into stocks that's going to appreciate in value. And you do it habitually every single month because you say as a 22-year-old, I want to retire at 65 years of age, a millionaire. That's pretty great. Assuming it appreciates a 10% interest, which is conservative because the stock market over the last 50 years, the interest rate on average is 11.23%. So at 10%, 125 bucks per month for for the next 43 years until you're 65, when you retire, you will have $1.08 million tucked aside from 125 bucks a month. You say, that's it? Yeah, that's it. Why? Money grows little by little. Now, if you said, I don't know if I can believe, Pastor. I, I, I just, I don't think so. So you wait 10 years before you start doing it. That ten-year wait, you'd only would have accrued. Now, starting at age 32, retiring at age 65, you'd only accrue three hundred eighty-nine dollars, three hundred eighty-nine thousand dollars. You'd have lost essentially about seven hundred thousand dollars. Why? Compounded interest. Smile at me. <laughs> Budgeting starves the debt monster. Budgeting allows you to say, This is where my money is going to go, rather than ask, Where did my money go? You know, 41% of Americans budget. So about 60% of people don't budget. Now, you may say, Well, I don't have enough money to budget. That's not true. You got to start budgeting if you have $5. He said, But that's five bucks. It's like the guy, I mean, he was, he was down on his luck, $5. And he decided, let me just invest. And he went to the local you know, grocery store and he bought you know, 50 apples. And he cleaned these apples and shined them. And he sold them for $10. And five years later, someone asked him, how come you're a millionaire? And he told him that story. And then he said, my wealthy father-in-law left everything to me. <laughs> See, you, you, gotta, you may not have a wealthy father-in-law, and he may not leave everything to you, but budgeting starves the debt monster. It helps to keep your money on track. It keeps you focused as to where you're going, your financial goals and financial plans and, and abilities to be able to say, I don't want to get into debt. And so you've got to be able to understand the, the significance of that. USA Today ran an article that was so frightening. The United States Census Bureau that they referenced said they reported that 109 million Americans use 957 million credit cards. That's essentially 10 credit cards per person to buy $430 billion worth of goods, causing them to enter into debt $207 billion you got to look at that credit card and say, wait a second here, i got to bring myself under control. And the way you bring yourself under control is the fact that you have to budget. Budgeting starves a debt monster. Now, I must say, when you're budgeting, initially it seems very difficult. It feels like you're in handcuffs. And you put them on yourself. And when you budget, you can't sit down and then come up with a budget all at once. It's going to take time to get all the bills... It may take three or four different settings, maybe an hour each, but after that period of time, and you craft this budget, and you then say to everybody, let's live within that budget, and within that budget, you may have a little bit of pocket money you give to yourself so you don't do anything crazy, and you stay right there within that range, that's your crazy money, that's your your lose-your-mind money, and it may be, let's say it's 50 bucks a week, you got 50 bucks a week when you lose your mind, that's it, that's it. And you stay within that tolerance no matter what it is. No matter what it is. I remember counseling this couple. I'm talking, they make significant money. I'm talking, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars 500000 a year, and they were having major financial problems. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. And I asked the husband, I said, what's your allowance? He said, what do you mean? I said, how much money do you have that, that you have freedom to do with it What you want. And how much money does your wife have as an allowance that you guys have agreed on that she can do with it whatever she wants. She wants to buy makeup. She wants to go out to the restaurant. What is it? He said, I don't have any allowance. He said, you know how much money I make? I said, but that's your problem. (laughs) The issue is not that you don't make money. The issue is that you don't have any balance or boundaries in your life. And as a result, because there's no budgeting, you're in debt. There should not be debt when you make that kind of money. And even if you don't, see, many times we think that the, the gravy train is going to keep coming and rolling in. Gravy train runs out sometimes. How many understand that? Sometimes there is no gravy train. Sometimes someone steals a gravy train. (laughs) So the idea is that you have to understand, budgeting starves a debt monster. Proverbs 21.20 says, Wise people live in wealth and luxury, but stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) I read it. spend it. You know why people spend money fast? Because they spend money little by little, so it doesn't seem like a lot. The average American spends $232 per month eating out. On average, the meals cost $12.75. And so if they then said, I'm going to eat my meals at home, not takeout <laughs> at home, but I'm going to prepare my meals at home. The meals would cost them Essentially about a third of that price. And so they would be saving eight dollars and seventy-five cents per meal just by choosing to say, Let me eat at home, let me cook my meal. I I want you to see that if you would do that, you'd be surprised how much money you have. You gotta starve the debt monster. The debt monster is greedy, the debt monster is looking for you, the debt monster loves you, the debt monster wants you to coddle it. And love it and hold it and just keep spending your money. And I want you to see that the scripture tells us that if you're going to be wise, you have to then learn to discipline yourself even when it comes to money. And the more you make, the more you should be disciplined. Because the more you make, the more people want your money. And they come up with cockeyed reasons as to why they should get it. Here's one of the things I do to starve the debt monster. Not only do I budget, but I also tithe. You may say, how is tithing starved the debt monster? I'm glad you asked. Let me bring you back to Proverbs 3 and verse 8. I'm sorry. Yeah, pro- you know, Malachi 3 and verse 8. Here's what Malachi says. I ask you, the prophet's prophesying now, speaking on God's behalf to the people. I ask you, is it right for a person to cheat God? Of course not. Yet you're cheating me. How, you ask, in the matter of tithes and offerings? A curse is on all of you because the whole nation is cheating you. The whole nation is cheating me. Bring the full amount of your tithes to the temple so there will be plenty of food there. Put me to the test and you will see that I will open the windows of heaven and pour out on you in abundance all kinds of good things. Now stop there. The question I'm looking at is why does tithing starve the debt monster? Tithing, as you may know, is giving 10% of my income to the work of God through the church. It's not giving to my grandmother in San Francisco because she needs to pay her cable bill. That's a gift. A tithe goes to the temple, to the house of God, for the work of God, through the church of God. That's the tithe. The reason why tithing starves a debt monster is because it controls me. It helps me then to realize I'm just a sojourner. I'm just a pilgrim here on earth. The earth is not my permanent dwelling place. Heaven is. I'm just passing through. So I'm not going to be so caught up with accumulating all this stuff like everybody else because this is not all that there is for me. And so tithing helps me to have an orientation towards God. Tithing helps me to establish financial partnership with God. Tithing helps me to have this mindset that God needs to be intricately involved in my financial life. And I need to be responsible towards God and bring God into my financial decisions, financial dealings. So that I can be able to stay in check. If I'm not careful, I have the propensity, I don't know about you, I have the propensity to run after things. I don't want to run after things. I realize that pretty things are not so pretty when you're connected to God financially. So you don't get caught up with those things. Why? Because they don't mean that much to you. Without that discipline of tithing, pretty things, you're always looking for pretty things to make you feel good. Why do you need 10 pairs of brown shoes? Well, you don't understand. Each of those brown shoes are different shades. Check it out. You look? Look at that. Look at that, look at this. Oh yeah, I see a... Wait a second, let me get some light on it. Oh yeah, now I see the slight shade. Who's going to distinguish between the two? You never know. See, you're caught up with the wrong stuff. Why do you need three cars? And you can't pay for one. Why do you need a Beamer? Why not a Hyundai? Why not a Honda? Why not a bicycle? (laughs) The idea is that we gotta then say, why? Who are we trying to impress? Who are we trying to impress? I mean, it's like the guy in California is driving his beamer to work and, and he, he's not looking. He's on his cell phone and he's not looking. He goes over the embankment and as he's going over the embankment, you know, he's yelling out, my beamer, my beamer is totaled and he crawls out of there and someone yells out from above, hey, are you okay? He said, no, my beamer's ruined. My beamer's ruined. And the guy says, man, how could you think about your beamer? Look at your right arm. It's been severed at the shoulder. He said, oh, my Lord, my role. Rolex my Rolex (laughs) see many times we don't have our values in check you gotta starve the debt monster cheating God is pretty bad not only for the sake of cheating God for your sake for your soul's sake tithing preserves the integrity of my soul Tithing makes me whole in the context of right with God financially in that regard. But I also have to budget, live within my means. There are many other principles the Bible teaches. Not only tithing. Tithing is not magical. It's just one of the financial disciplines that we must employ in order to make sure that the debt monster doesn't get us. Have you put God first in your financial life? Paul spoke to this very thing. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says... When you collect money from God's people, I want you to do exactly what I told the churches in Galatia to do. That is, each Sunday, each of you must put aside part of what you've earned. If you do this, you won't have to take up a collection when I come. Nowhere in this passage do we see the word tithe. What we do see is the principle of proportional giving, which is equivalent to tithing. He says, each of you put aside part of what you've earned. He says, do it every week. You get paid, stash it to the side. Whose money is that? That's God's money. Let me borrow some of that. God tells us in Leviticus if you borrow any of the tithe, you give me back the tithe plus 20%. I don't know if you've ever read that, Leviticus 27. See, God says, this is business. (laughs) I love you, but give me my money. (laughs) So the idea is that we need to see that tithing disciplines us, just like budgeting disciplines us. If you can't afford it, don't buy it. Well, i got to have it. Not now. I remember my youngest daughter, she went, did her study abroad in England. She called over and back and said, Dad, I just love it here. I said, because I'm paying for it let's see what you, how much you love it when you got to pay for it. <laughs> she hadn't been back since. I mean, the idea is that there's a whole, I and mean, she graduated eight years ago, I mean, the idea, there's a whole nother dynamic when you got to put the money in. You got to drop the shekels into that area. So I want you to see the scriptures teaching us this principle that we have to really know how to deal with the debt monster. Don't get into debt. And when you learn how to handle money, it's one of the biggest principles and one of the biggest wins you can ever experience. And when you You do that by budgeting, by living within your means, in fact, not even living within your means, living below your means just because you make $125,000 a year doesn't mean you have to live at $125,000 a year live at 80 well you don't understand people that make what I make that's your problem, you're trying to impress them, what for? they don't even like you live beneath your means So I want us to see that Jesus is very sympathetic about the idea of us not being in debt. Because if we can handle money, if we can handle money, he'll give us access to people which are far more valuable. People are God's highest commodity. And if you can handle money, he'll have you have influence with people. Now, you may say, well, Pastor, I've never had that training, and I got myself the debt Monsters, bit me a couple of times. And that's why we're offering that freed, up, that freed up seminar. Don't act proud. Go in there and sit down and learn. Don't be proud. Don't put on a mask. Go there. And if you do, get trip and journey to go and sit next to you. People will be distracted. But you then get the information you need. The ideas that learn, there's nothing wrong with learning. I didn't learn money management from my parents. They taught me other things, not that. I didn't even learn it from school. I learned money management. I read tons of books. Tons of books. Why? Because I wanted to be responsible as a steward before God, personally and professionally, so God can trust me not only with stuff but with people. Are you with me still? So we subdue the debt monster, starve the debt monster, and we must also slay the debt monster. You can't play with the debt monster. you got to slay it. And the debt monster is very tricky because the debt monster loves to be coddled, loves to be stroked, loves to be in charge. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. Paul was counseling his spiritual son, Timothy, about money. Paul says, for the, love of, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Paul's saying, look, there's some people that love money so much Now, there's nothing wrong with money. Money is not bad. Money is not, it's not immoral. I've never seen a lying $10 bill. I've never seen, you know, a sexually degenerate hundred. I've never seen that. Money is amoral. It takes on the morality of the person holding it. Money is not bad. The love of money is the root of all evil. If money tries to dominate you and rule you, rule your decisions, rule your actions, rule, rule what you do, then there's a problem because it's the other way around. Money's supposed to be your servant, not you be money's servant. A friend of mine is a dog trainer. This lady brought her dog to him, and she just complained. This dog just, just, it's it's horrible. Help me, because I'm going to get rid of this dog, because this dog is horrible. While she's standing next to my friend, she has the dog, the leash in her hand, the dog's standing there. The dog walks close to her and takes one of its front paws and puts it right on her toe. My friend said do you see that? She said, oh yeah, he's very affectionate. She said, that's not what it means. What it means is domination. It means that the dog is in charge and he's reminding you, you are his dog. He is the master. <laughs> when, that, when, the, when the dog trainer explained, she was so angry, she pulled her foot away. Now, as I'm teaching, you should be seeing what I'm seeing. I'm seeing some of your wallets and purses go like this to you. <laughs> I'm in charge. And you're saying money is so, it's so lovable. Paul says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money cries out to be loved and to be coddled. And so you have to understand you got to slay it. You have to be in charge. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus said, you got to choose who you're going to serve. Now, why is this such a big deal you got to choose? And I'll answer it this way. Charles Spurgeon, he says, It's very difficult for a man to have much money running through his hands without some of it sticking. It's very sticky stuff. And when it once sticks to the hands, they're not clean in the sight of the Lord. Unless a man is able to use money without abusing it, accepting it as a talent lent to him and not as treasure given to him, it will very soon happen that The more money he has, the more troubles he will have. Go like this. Don't let it stick to you. I'm not saying lose it. I'm not saying throw it away. I'm not saying ignore it. I'm saying manage it. Money needs a master. And that's you. And when you slay the debt monster, means that money doesn't own you, you own it. When you have a healthy perspective towards money and you're able to manage it, God will give you more. To him who has, more will be given. When you manage it well, like the parable of the the talents, the guy who had the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and buried it and the master said, take that talent from him and give it to the one that has ten. For the one who has more, the one who has more, more will be given. So that's why you see people, the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. One of the principal reasons is money management. I remember speaking in the Dominican Republic several years ago. And this group was a medical missions group. They had missionaries that were physicians all over the world, about 40 different countries. And they had their major leadership training, and they invited me to teach them on leadership. And they took me then to their ophthalmological center. And they said, this is what we do to help the poor. In addition to helping them with any eye disease, we give them money for food. But we've learned to not give them money for food any longer. We actually buy the food and give it to them. Because what we've learned is that the poor don't make the right choices with their money and what they buy. And so we buy what we know are the staples and give them the food rather than the money. What are they saying? I'll never forget it. What they're saying is, if people don't understand how to handle money, they misuse it. And if people understand how to handle money, they use it for a higher good. May God entrust you with lots of money. Lots of money. For his glory. For his glory.